welcome to the City Speaking Podcast. The city speaks, you try to follow obedient, even the ones that don't swallow. What up, humans? Welcome to the City Speaking Podcast with me, Joshua Wolper. How are you? Um, I am currently sitting in my hotel here in Myanmar, in Yangon, which is, of course, now used to be called uh, Rangoon, Burma. Um, I am here on a bit of a journey with uh, actually the guest of this particular episode of the podcast, uh, John Ho. John is a periscoper. Um, and uh, for those of you that don't know, it's a live streaming, uh, video live streaming platform. And uh, it's linked with Twitter. And I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, will know what Twitter is. Um, let me see. Before I get too much into what John's about, um, I'll get into that a little bit when we talk about. Uh, I just want to talk a bit about what we've been up to here. John and I have been traveling through Yangon and also to Bagan, which is an ancient city, to explore this country a little bit. Um, we're here for a few days. And we've been fortunate enough to get some sponsorship for our trip here, which has been fantastic. And what that means is I've been able to go around to have conversations with people here um, to find out more about what their life is like, who they are, how they live, how they feel about things. And it's been wonderful. Um, and John has also been able to periscope as well. Hopefully what that means is we'll be able to give people uh, a bit of an idea of how things are like and just educate people a bit on what life can be like here in Myanmar. And I mean, guys, some of the conversations we've had have just been absolutely crazy. I, I just, just earlier today, uh, we met with a, a former monk who is actually originally an Aussie. And, uh, but he's been here for many, many years. He was a monk for 15 years. And we talk about what that's like. We talk about Buddhism, religion, uh, is just one of the most fascinating people I've ever spoken to, I've ever met in my life. Um, that's absolutely awesome. Uh, I also spoke with a professor today, um, and we talked a bit about culture and what education is like here in Myanmar and why she's here. She's actually a Fulbright scholar, for those of you, for those of you that know what a Fulbright scholar is. Um, anyway, so it, it's been... Um, it's been absolutely phenomenal. And I apologize if I'm sort of spacey or rambly here, but I'm really a bit sleep deprived. We've been traveling around a lot and just running around, but it's been worth it. We're also documenting this via video. We're trying to, well, we're hopeful, I should say, that all this footage can eventually be cut into some sort of either travelogue or even a little show. Who knows? We'll just see. We'll just have to see. Hopefully our footage is decent enough to cut something together that people will enjoy. So we'll just see and we'll go from there. But of course, stay tuned. In the meantime, if you like, uh, if you want to find out what some of the footage that we've taken has been like, if you want to follow our journey a little bit, you can follow me on Instagram. Uh, it should be in the profile. But if not, at, at MRJ3 is my Instagram and my Twitter is at... <laughs> I'm that tired. I, I paused. I hesitated. I needed to make sure what my Twitter handle was. Uh, at Mr. J is here. M-I-S-T-E-R. The letter J is here. One word, obviously, because it's Twitter. And that's how they roll. Um, so, yeah. A and on top of those kinds of conversations, guys, I'm, I've also had the chance to speak with some of the locals. Um, and they've had some really, really fascinating things to say. I'm just getting sort of a bunch of audio clips, uh, 
conversations, interviews, and eventually I'll have to figure out how I want to cut that together, whether it'll be an anthology or individual episodes. I don't know. It's been a crazy journey. I've got hundreds of gigabytes of data between video and audio. So, hey, we'll just have to see how that all is going to shake out. But I hope you guys will enjoy it, and I hope I put something together that uh, you guys will want to listen to and, and share with people as well. Moving on to John Ho. John Ho is a periscoper. As I mentioned earlier, he is probably one of the few uh, in Hong Kong. And uh, wow, we have a we have a really interesting conversation. Um, we talk about we talk about his culture identity and stuff like that. Uh, we talk about his journey as a periscoper and how he decided to become that and and develop that and grow that and grow his audience. He's got quite a large following, I must say. Um, and on that note, I want to give a little shout out to all the people that have been following us on social media, following me, following John. I mean, the power of social media is absolutely crazy. I think I've never felt that more than on this particular trip. But a shout out to all of uh, the followers that have been following us on Periscope uh, as we do our sort of check-ins and our, our interviews as well. Uh, so thank y'all. Thank y'all very much. Um, so yeah, uh, we also talk a bit about uh, our addiction to the work that we do. So me uh, you know, running this podcast, him... Uh, doing the periscope thing, uh, the addiction of, of why we keep why we keep doing it, sort of the meaning that we attach to that, and why we continue to do the things that we do. Um, we we also talk about why he veers away from politics um, in, in conversation. I will just say this, just because we mentioned it in the in the um, in the uh, in our conversation in our chat, uh, we talk a bit about the bookseller incident that happened in Hong Kong. Uh, you can research it a little bit online; it's available online. You can take a look at that. I just don't want to go into too much detail right now. This intro, I think, has gone on long enough as it is. So anyway, I present to you my partner out here in Myanmar and the guest of this particular episode, the very prolific, the very hardworking, and the very, very intriguing Mr. John Ho. The city speaks, you try to follow obedient, even the ones that... If you have things to do, you can... You know, <laughs> can be excused. Well, here's a here's a great thing. Hey, we got Kevin joining in. Hey, Kevin James from New Zealand. Hey guys, Kevin James works in the observ uh, observatory. He does. Yeah, he scopes about the moons. Wait, in in New Zealand or yeah, yeah. really? Not the moons, but the moon. I, I got you. I got you. How's it going? I'm As good. Opposed I'm to good. all the moons. We're, we're we're doing mic check here. Check out these uh, professional equipment. I think we're good. It's all right. It's all right. Just got a few mics in here. Oh, Let me just. You okay? Yeah. Knocking stuff people. over. I just want to see people. I want people to see your um, the setup. Uh, it is. It's pretty. It's pretty straightforward, guys. Just got a laptop. I have um, a little. What is this? It's a. Uh, I believe it's called a preamp. I think that's the word for it. So I just get to plug in, plug in whatever sort of inputs I want. So yeah. I can do guitars, uh, any sort of audio input with mics. USB goes right to the computer. I just capture the audio. Bada boom, bada bing. It's pretty. It's pretty straightforward for the most part. So why why can't you use like a splitter and have like headphone jacks? <laughs> I can. No, I, I can actually monitor from here. I just don't want to have headphones okay, on. Yeah. Need little device. <laughs> yeah, it's alright. Thanks. This, this is this is my device. <laughs> you still want to discharge? Uh, oh yeah, let's do that. Let's keep let's keep the juice flowing as opposed to 
no problem. There we go. You guys got to... So this won't be published until I don't know when? Um, so my podcast typically is every about every two weeks or so. Every two weeks. I put up a new, um, a new episode. So we're going to record this now. I'll go back, do some, uh, do some post-production on it afterwards, and then just get it lined up and ready to... To launch the whole premise of my podcast really is it's called the city speaking podcast and what I really my focus is my goal really is uh, John is just to have conversations interesting conversations with interesting people and hopefully we get some interesting meaningful things going on all right all right all right look at you pandering pandering to the two people we got going right now so far but this is the exclusive uh by the way I've actually done um uh, whole interview with Josh. This that's is right. back in the old days. This before is... they had the replay. Wow, yeah, that's right. So you can't actually Yeah. Mr. Ho was interested. Wow. <laughs> that's exactly the thing I asked him. Like Well, what? hopefully let's find out more what? about John and hopefully really? we can see how interesting. So John. Yes. Are you, you know, already? Yeah, we're well oh. I mean it's basically we're just recording and uh, oh, don't worry. It's all good. It's all good. All right. John. I'm so loud. By the way, thanks for the Simpsons mug. I appreciate that. This is so retro. <laughs> what mug? This is. <clears throat> so, John, uh, yes. just for the people that don't really know know you from my side of things or whatever, just how would you, within, if you can, in two minutes or less, describe what it is that you do? And that scope can be as large as what you do in the social media world, your personal life, your work, sort of things that you feel identical a part of your identity in terms of what you do. Okay. So um, I guess I can start from after I came back to Hong Kong after college. So that was 2003. Uh, it was just after SARS. And I happened to be in the worst industry ever, which was hospitality. Can we just can I ask you to explain what SARS was and how that impact, uh, what that climate yeah. looked like out here? So, so SARS is like the plague in Hong Kong, the one and only plague that we had uh, in the modern days. And so, I think I don't know how many people exactly died, but more than hundreds. And, and so, it was a pretty big deal, and it was pretty devastating for the city. And so, you know, I just graduated from college. I came back to Hong Kong, and unemployment was. I mean, employment situation was pretty bad, but, you know, I still have to find a job. But um, I guess that was how I started my career. Uh, so I spent nine years in the hospitality industry, uh, just working my way up, like most of the Hong Kong people, really. Is that the cat? That's the cat. Trying to get out? Yeah, we need to. Um, he can come out. Yeah, he can come yeah, he's, out. I'm all good. Know, I'm all good. Milo. Did you fit through the gap? I was like, what's, what's up? What's up, little chunky? Why did you do that to me? Milo. Milo is the chunkiest and cutest cat I've ever met. I know. Anyway, sorry. We were talking about SARS yeah, and how sorry. you are. By the way, so SARS is an acronym for um, um, uh, Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. Basically, swine flu that passed to human beings. Was it swine flu or chicken flu? Chicken well, flu. Well, we had both, right? We had swine flu and we had avian flu. I'm not sure which one is related or if it is related to I SARS. I gotta be honest, I, I feel like I should know this, but I don't I know. know exactly. I think it's the avian flu. Okay, let's birds. go with that. It's avian flu. Yeah, so we have to kill let's a bunch of chickens. Y'all can fact check. We have to kill millions <laughs> of chickens just to save humanity in Hong Kong. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and, then, right. and, then, and then people were wearing masks uh, and like nobody wanted to come out. And that was the time when I came back to Hong Kong. 
So I started, you know, in my job in a hotel working as a trainee. And I spent nine years in the hospitality industry, which was fun. Um, um, and, and after that, I got a little bit like worn out, you know, just it, it, like the, the story before this whole entrepreneur like journey that I have is pretty typical, like a lot of Hong Kong people. In fact, you know, you study hard, you graduate from a good school, you find a job and you're expect to be like advancing in your jobs, you know, getting a better pay. Uh, you know, get married and all that kind of stuff. But I guess I think it was uh, eight, nine years afterwards, I, I thought, you know, I, I started thinking like, oh, wait, okay, this is something that I might not want to do until I retire, right? Because it's pretty long and it's pretty stagnant in terms of the lifestyle. I mean, it's 9 to 10, 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. every single day for six days a week and you do the same stuff pretty much the same routine and and so for me it was like okay um i don't think i want to do this forever so <clears throat> i switched industry i went to i went from a hospitality industry to an uh, finance industry which is even <laughs> more typical in Hong Kong. So wh why would you do that? Like, why would you decide like, you know what? Was it a money thing? Uh, if I may just be direct, did you feel Pretty like much. financially that's a much better way to go? Pretty so much. screw it. Let's just, yeah. I'll sacrifice my time, my health, my what, my whatever for this. Well, it did was it feel that way for you or no? I, I think it was opportunity that knocked on the door and say, hey, there's this offer. You want to take it? You know, it's better than the job that you're paid. And this is a new thing that, you know, you might want to give it a try since you don't like what you're doing anyway, right? So, yeah, so I said, okay, I'll give it a try, you know? And, and, and it's also the fact that in Hong Kong, and this is a very Hong Kong thing, you know, um, if you tell people you work in an investment bank, you know, especially one of the top, you know, American investment bank, you feel like, ah, you know, status, and all that kind of thing and and so you know um I, I i took it i took the job i tried it out didn't work out um decided to not do it after a year um and and so from that that and that's 2009 2010 about 2009 2010 and that's when i did like a very very big decision in my life and i said okay i want to do something that i like to do i want to do and um i started working for myself so uh, there's this opportunity that my friend offered to me and, and she, was, she was a good friend of mine. We, we used to talk for like hours back in the days when there's still ICQ, not ICQ, MSN. Remember MSN? Throwback. Throwback. That's a throwback <laughs> one right there. Yeah. So back in MSN days, MSN you know. Is it still on? It's got to still be running, right? Uh, I have no I idea. Don't I don't know if anyone is using MSN anymore. I don't know. Do you guys use MSN Messenger? But it's a desktop no, chat not. version. You know, everyone uses WhatsApp right yeah, now, but it's it's a desktop chat version that everyone has. Back in the old days, when you when you're doing overtime, Kelvin knows about that. Kelvin is one of our viewers watching this live uh, with Periscope the app. Oh, by the way, Elizabeth's never even heard of it. Elizabeth, are you under the age of twenty two? Elizabeth is like. In her late 50s. Why did you out someone like that? 
Well, it's a private chat. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> That's how we roll here, you know? Um, yeah, so... Oh, <laughs> Don't worry, Elizabeth. You're not missing out on much. Yeah, anyway... You weren't using so... Periscope, so you're doing fine. <laughs> it's connected with Hotmail. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. Um, so... By the way, we originally said two minutes. But we've, we've well sunk oh, past... Shit. It's all good. No, it's all okay, good. Don't worry about yeah. it. No, 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 no. Don't worry about it. It's a conversation. Yeah. So let's just keep going. Uh, okay, but um, fast, for fast forwarding... Five years down the road, I love what I'm doing uh, because I have total control with what I want to do. Um, uh, it's it's a business that I'm uh, I'm running. It's in the wellness industry. Uh, it's unique in a way that not many people understand it. A lot of people might have heard of it, but not many people understand it. And um, I'm I'm having networks in Hong Kong, um, in different countries all over the world. Um, I built my team. I teach about. I coach about you know leadership and, and all that kind of stuff. But I, I I love it. I love it. Like it's a, it's a total different lifestyle from most of the people that I know that's living in Hong Kong my age. So what brought you back to Asia in the first place? Because you you went to college in the states, and then usually after you finish college, you graduate, you have like a year that you can do like practical training kind of stuff, and then you can leave or or stay. What made you want yeah. to come back? Um, so it was, I would say it was family, but the fact that it was my ex-girlfriend. <laughs> Let's keep it real. Okay. <laughs> Keeping it real. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like after, after I graduated, I didn't even think about like where I would go. I just had to come back because of my long distance relationship. And I have been away for a long time. So it was just like, okay, I'm done with my studies. I need to come back and, and try to mend the relationship. Long distance relationships, man. Doesn't work. It's a challenge. It doesn't one. fucking work. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. You're not special. No. <laughs> no. So okay. So so that so that kind of brought you back here. But what was your life like in, in the in in the U.S.? What was your life experience like? You you know you. You grew up here, you spent most of your life yeah. sort of here, then spending time out there. You seem to have integrated quite well over there. Like, what was your life like for you there? Because and the reason why I'm asking is because part of what I'm looking to explore is is culture and identity. Yeah. And I'm curious yeah. how you feel about your culture and identity as it relates to your experiences mm. of living in the U.S. for a bit. So I think there's two faces, right? Um I, I'm I'm the more fortunate ones when I went to the state, uh, to the states. My my language skills was okay in terms of speaking English with people, so uh, it wasn't too hard of an integration. But because I studied in two with with two different schools, uh, the first two years were um, was actually in a community college, and the people that I used to hang out um, that I hang out with uh, were majority um, Hong Kong people or Cantonese speaking people, and so. Apart from school, uh, when we get out, then it, it's like a lot of stuff that we do is very much like what I would do in Hong Kong. Um, going to Hong Kong cafes, singing karaoke, going to KTVs to do karaoke, uh, you know, playing mahjong at Pete friend's home and all that kind of stuff. You were in Southern California, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so that's definitely, so. because I lived in San Francisco and yes. usually, which also has a large uh, Asian population. Yeah. It was the same thing, like uh, high school there, like you end up hanging out with a lot of Cantonese speakers, even Mandarin speakers. It's funny how, like, when you go somewhere else, like the scope of 
what's acceptable as closer to you and identity yeah. widens. Do you know what I mean? Like, 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 hey, you're from Hong Kong. Like, we're in Hong Kong now, right? So most people are from Hong Kong. So you'd be like, okay, you're from Hong Kong. I got it. But then you meet someone that's from the same area that you live in, yeah. right? Then you're like, oh, we're even closer. But say you go to somewhere else totally different and then uh, they say that, hey, I'm from Thailand. You're like, oh, hey, you're also from Asia. That's cool. Then the, that scope becomes what? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, there's definitely this because you're away from home and you want to find these things that are familiar with you. So you tend to cling together with the things that uh, the things and the people that are alike. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I still remember how uh, when I'm driving uh, shortly after I went to the states because you have to drive in la by the way especially right? in la yeah especially in la and, and shout so, out to smog and traffic yeah in hong kong the interesting thing is i never listened to canton pop but when i went to the states i would always turn on to these like i would have these C burnt cds they still used burnt cds back in those days back and i would always day. play these like canton pop tunes like kelly chan like uh, um not airline clock, but beyond, you know, all those like Cantonese, Cantonese pop. And I will listen to it and be like, yeah, you know, I feel good about this. Drive safe, Kevin. All right. Bye, Kevin. So, yeah. Um, so the first two years when I was in the community college was mostly with. Um, yeah. So people that I'm really, you know, I feel like I'm home with. Not that I know. Burning CDs. And um, yeah, so that was the first two years. But. Uh, but during even during that time, um, there was a lot of comparison, meaning the idea of America and the reality of America. Because how I pictured America was a lot based on how I see it from TV when I was in Hong Kong. So shows like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, The Simpsons, Star Trek Generation. And then there's these like X-Files, you know, and, and all these TV shows, right? You know, that's the, the, the America that I kind of, you know, like understand it is. And, and I go there, you know, and nothing is as glamorous, obviously. There's a lot more big or let's just say fat people because... I don't think like I don't think it's a derogative term, but you know people can be sensitive about it. But anyway, there is a lot of big people. Let's just put it that way. There's a lot more bigger people than I thought there would be. Because in TV they don't show them for some reason. <laughs> hmm, I wonder who made that decision. Who made that marketing decision? Yeah, right? who tested that market? <laughs> Especially the, um, the reality shows. Even the reality shows. You know uh, what was that? Uh, MTV. Um, what well, cribs? Not cribs. The one before cribs. What the, was there one before? Um, oh, the, the college students were. The, oh, when they're all in the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, what was oh. that called? Anyway, everyone was pretty. Everyone was that. young and hot, you know. And then you go to the states, and you're like, huh, okay, it's like in Hong Kong. There's big people. There's small people. There's tall people. There's short people. Um, so it's like, okay, reality check. I'm there. Um, and but I, I also talk about this in Periscope, which uh, I think the most interesting thing or or let's say it's the culture shock that i received was um when i turn on tv late at night jerry springer's Jer jerry springer was a daytime show, but you got to watch the reruns at night i don't know it was it was at no night. for sure I, for yeah. sure like yeah, yeah so I jerry springer's reruns and howard stern like blew my mind i was like what is this is this real like, are they talking to real people or are they just acting here? I can't tell, you know, or WWF. 
You know, like, what is this? Yes, the World Wildlife Fund. No, <laughs> yeah. I'm, 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 I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So they changed to World World Wrestling Entertainment now because of that, right? A few I, years ago, they made that change. Yeah, yeah. It's WWE well, we, now. We don't even show it in Hong Kong, so how no, would I know, right? No, no. Yeah, so those were the sort of culture shocks that I had. Um, but then, but then, but then later on during uh, like college time, I went to a, I got transferred to a university and I stayed in a dorm, and the the mix of people are a little bit more diverse, and so I, I like that was, so that, that was the time that I really was like exposed to you know, more people like more people different than where I'm from, um, and 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 it was it was interesting like my accent changed. Really? Yeah, yeah. So, the first couple of years when I went there, people would say, "How come you have an English accent?" Ah, uh, okay. Of like a British accent, right? Or your accent is different. And then, right. where are you from? Yeah, yeah. But interesting thing is, I come back to Hong Kong after college, and my friends would say, "Why do you have an American accent?" You know, it's not super obvious, but it's kind of subtle. subtle. So those are the things that you know. I find it kind of interesting. You know. Did you did you experience anything that made you feel uncomfortable when you were in the U.S.? Not really. No. Overall, it was pretty. It was it was okay. Um, yeah. What about when you came back? Did you feel sort of like people had felt um, that you had changed, or that maybe oh you're too good for us now because you've traveled abroad? I only ask is just because, like, I've spoken with people that have had that experience or feel like you're too good for us now a little bit. You know, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, people might think that way, but I never I, I never thought myself any different from most of Hong Kong people. Right. Um, well, the fact is a lot of people also received overseas educations nowadays. So it's not such a special thing. As back maybe in the seventies when you you know when you graduated from a university, my dad would feel a little bit stronger of that because he also did his masters in the states. But he's sixty something years old right now, so um, he might probably feel more special than I do. I don't feel anything special about my status. And no, no, I, I didn't mean like you personally, but just in yeah. terms of you know when you came back, I was just wondering if anyone ever sort of. If that ever came up um, in conversation, oh, you you know, or you hang out with friends and friends of friends, they're like, oh, check out this guy, check out college boy over here or whatever. Yes, at, at work uh, in the first job because it was a local hotel. Most people working are local Hong Kong people, so uh, I, I I I speak better English, so I can have a better dialogue with most of the clients or the hotel guests. So, but it's it's more like oh. Uh, yeah, this English stuff, like just get it, you know, let it, let John talk with them or something like that. It wasn't anything that they were like teasing me about. I identity politics. I don't want to talk a little bit about identity politics. Yeah. Is that so? Uh, yeah. yeah, this is sort of the identity portion of this. Like, how much do you think um, identity politics comes into play uh, in your in your daily life or in the work that you do? And how does that game played out a little bit in Hong Kong? I think it's a topic that's super interesting because, okay, just talk about myself first. I am, I would say I'm 99% aware of my identity, as in I know my roots, I know my culture, and I know where I would call home. 
And so Hong Kong is my home, right? And I identify myself as a Hong Kong person. But I also am a Chinese, um, meaning that a lot of the cultures, a lot of understandings or teachings, um, traditional values of that sort, you know, it's also still very Chinese of myself. Uh, so I, I, I'm also aware that because I'm exposed to the Western system or the education system um, for five years. So there is a part of me that is more Westernized, but deep, deep down inside, I I'm very aware of myself. Um, and, and if people were to ask me this, I would, you know, it wouldn't take me a split second to say I'm from Hong Kong, you know. So this is you. this is this is myself, right? Sure, sure, sure. And but but this the question is interesting because when you ask this and when you go out and if you ask other Hong Kong people, um, they also identify themselves as Hong Kong, but they would also emphasize on they're not part of. I mean, a group of the people might not identify themselves as part of China or Chinese the nationality. Right. Well, and this is where it gets really, really tricky. Yeah. So th there are actually quite a few things that I kind of want to get into and unpack. So there's the part that you just mentioned, which is the idea of people saying, I'm from Hong Kong, like distinguishing between being a Hong Konger versus someone that's Chinese. Yeah. And it's tricky because Chinese... So first thing is... We typically mean Han Chinese. Yeah. Right? So you're referring to Han Chinese culture. Yeah. Which is the dominant ethnic group, which yes. is the dominant, hence the dominant culture. Yes. In China. Apart from the political. Whatever. Right, right, right. Yeah, that, yeah. That is, yeah. I mean, this yeah. is just factually, yeah. ethnic, exactly. ethnically, that's the case. Yes. And so it just is what it is. Yeah. Um, but then also just the idea of nationality and ethnicity being one thing. So Chinese is China, Chinese, being Chinese is, uh, is a culture. So is it sorry? Is a um, uh, is an ethnic group, but is also a national, like a nationality. Yes. So it it becomes quite entangled when you say someone's Chinese or not Chinese. So so let's say for me, right? So I grew up in Hong Kong, right? Yeah. But my background is quite mixed, ethnically speaking. Yeah. So it would be hard for me to fully identify as being Chinese because I just don't think it's factually accurate but at the same time i do have chinese culture within my upbringing within my understanding of who i am my life experiences and i'm happy to integrate what i feel is valuable and meaningful mm. uh, to my life and to my identity but it becomes more tricky whereas i think with you maybe it's it's a bit easier to just acknowledge it because there's less complexity in terms yes. of parental lineage exactly. if that makes sense Sim simply for the fact that my both of my parents grow up in hong kong they speak cantonese so and i studied in a local school in hong kong so it's very for me it's pretty clear-cut right like yeah that's my background but i guess i don't know how would you answer this question though like if if someone were to ask you about this right so this is the trick it's a, right. yeah. a, a, perfect so you, i usually i say let me give you a, i'll give you the 30 second kind of answer so usually it's you know so i was born in hong kong Fathers from the U.S. Yeah, and then usually I break down which like where my grandparents are from, if just to give them some context. Yeah, uh, then mothers Hong Kong Chinese, so I'm but I was born in Hong Kong, and then we traveled, so I was born in Hong Kong, and then I we traveled. I lived in Korea when I was a kid. I lived in New York, lived in San Francisco, lived in Hong Kong. Like that's sort of my yeah. travel overall all around. But born and raised primarily in Hong Kong. 
Okay. So if you say, where am I from? The answer I usually have to ask is, what do you actually mean? Yeah, and it gets complicated too. Well, but but I'm happy to have these. I I like having these kinds of discussions. Not 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 to try to, not to try to pick up differences, but to really just ex, uh, expose uh, what is and have discussions about these. Because I often feel like uh, um, ethnicity, ethnic ethnicity, and uh, country of origin, or these things. These can it can be really charged discussion for some people. But I'm happy. But I'm yeah. quite happy to sort of open that up and talk about it and mix it up if that makes sense. Yeah, I, and I'm, I keep saying if that makes sense. I don't know why I'm saying that. I make sense, guys. <laughs> right? On Periscope, I'm making sense. Oh, David is here. Hey, David. We have someone from Osaka, Japan. Oisa. <laughs> um. So we're doing a podcasting here. Hey, Dave. I think it's going to be interesting in terms of as. Um, technology or the world progresses, it gets more and more complicated when you have to identify yourself because people are simply more mobile. They travel to more places. There's more interracial marriages like me and my wife. I'm Hong Kong. She's Thai, right? And, and, and people also tend to move around more than back in the old days because transportation is cheaper, flights and all that kind of stuff, right? But, you know, a generation back, then it's, it's very easy. So I think, I feel like there's a little bit of, the curiosity comes because the world is changing. And this is not a conversation that the previous generation would talk about or educate us about because there's always this route there's always this origin, you know, you're from this place, you belong to what part of the community, you know, you have this pride or a sense or, you know, and, and, and so now everything is kind of diluted. And, and it's interesting to talk about it because that means there's also more diversity because you're no longer a Chinese or a Japanese, but you can be half or one third of whatever. And then you have a little bit of education from overseas. So, you know, it, 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 like there's so many layers of it. For sure. Well, and, and this is the other part of identity is that in identity isn't necessarily just bound to your parentage or your mm. ethnic group or your country of origin. Definitely. Like we have culture that we've absorbed from multi. Like you example is your understanding of America and the American culture. Right, yeah. which you brought with you, yeah. was uh, from TV. Yeah. Um, but of course, it was different when you got there, and then you, and even when you say you were there and you absorbed America for the time you were there, it was actually a specific part of America. Like you West were right, Coast, right, California, exactly. Right? So like, it's that yeah. culture is very different Definitely. from say if you went to like Biloxi, Mississippi, right? Yeah. I would assume. I've never been, but I would assume. Yeah. Um, uh, the other part that I want to talk about is, and this can get a bit, uh, a bit touchy or tricky but i want to i want to get into it um do, how easy is it to be critical of of our own culture or cultures um it's a matter of whether you want to think about it or not right well, yes and no well uh, like oh, so we can we can drill down into so okay. example is are there i often find like there are parts of um like it's sometimes really easy to point elsewhere and say ah that like I can see I can identify what is tricky about that particular culture or that particular culture and it's not necessarily PC or, or kind or nice to say but it's it tends to be easier to do that but I'm quite my question is part of my exploration that I'm trying to do here with identity is 
how self-aware are people at looking at their own culture and how tricky is it for us? In, mo in most cases, I would say not so much, uh, especially when people are from a very kind of like a single layered or like one direction or one dynamic background. It's simply because you cannot be in other people's shoe if you don't understand where they're coming from. Let's just say, for example, um, the concept of going to Japan, and I'm using Japan because David is here, <laughs> uh, but it's so interesting. Uh, 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 the concept of going into a house and taking off your shoes before you step into the house is something that's super Japanese. And people would say, why do I have to do this? I don't take off my shoes at home. Right. And, and you're always going to be in the mindset of thinking this is how I do things, you know. And so um, the critical thinking only comes when you're being challenged or you're being exposed to, a, to an idea that's very different from 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 what you have brought up or, or understand. And and unless you have that opportunity, which most people do not have that opportunity, even though I'm well traveled, I don't assume Everyone in the world is well-traveled. A lot of people just like to live in where they grow up, where they were born, and, and they're really comfortable with doing that, and they don't do any travel. Or they never got the opportunity, yeah, financial exactly. circumstances, yeah, for, yeah, for whatever yeah. reason. And, and so, you know, and, and when they're not exposed to that, they, you, you can't expect them to be critical of thinking, you know, how valid are my ideas? Or, you know, how can I understand other people's idea? Because it's, it's difficult. It's difficult. People, I mean, intuitively, you're just thinking in your personal level. And I think it requires a lot of exposure and a lot of training even, you know, to, to even have that level of. Cause it's self-awareness, you know, right? Like, so you, you yeah. mentioned training, like I, I'm really curious about this sort of self-awareness training, this sort of uh, self-understanding or general discovery. What, what do you mean by, by training first? Let's go into that. Okay. I, took psychology classes when I was in college because it was a prerequisite, right? And they talk about, you know, there's different levels of cognition. You know, you have your egos and then I, I don't even remember the term, but you know, as, as a person, when you have to be super aware of your surroundings, you know, there's, there's levels that you have to go uh, before, before achieving that. And I think it's a subconscious thing. You have to be aware of it, and then you have to be taught to also um, learn to accept things that are different from from how you understand it. So you're talking about cognitive dissonance, right? Yeah. That that, that moment of where your perception of something is is not necessarily true, and, but it's challenged, and that has to change the way you've assumed yeah. something, right? Yeah. Which is really is usually the toughest part, but it's a necessary requirement to grow. Your mind. I'll take a very like typical example when I do my live streams, right? Uh, with Periscope, um, I go to a wet market, and there's like live animals, um, you know, and and the fish in the fish market, and the head and the tail is still intact, right? And so I stream this, and people watch it, and they're like, "Oh my god, this is dirty!" Or how can there be like the head and tail? Like this is like the whole fish there. Like, is, it, is this even hygienic, hygienic, right? And, and I tell them, this is, this is how food is. This is how, you know, like, yeah, this is whole foods, 
you know <laughs> this is what whole foods look like that's a whole yeah, fish yeah, that we're going fish. to yeah, yeah yeah and then and then maybe we're eating like lungs or kidneys and all that which is very typical for us but these ideas are challenged when you've never heard about eating livers or lungs right and 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 so first of all can you accept the fact that that's also that could be a normal thing this is how Kevin said, that's how the Klingon culture looks like. He's a Trekkie. He's a Trekkie. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like, can you, can like, as a person, do you have that, do you have that ability to accept the fact that this could be something that's normal in mm. another part of the world? Right. Because some people would say, that's disgusting. I can't deal with that. No, I, that's, that's, just, no, you know. The, the culture there is, is basically, I mean, it's kind of the idea of affluence in the sense that you're not you're not used to seeing where your food comes from. You haven't had to actually go and uh, maybe no, that's I, not necessarily I still, accurate. But I, I still think it's a cultural thing. It's not affluence or no, not. Yeah, no, it's but, definitely culture, but it's yeah. definitely influenced influenced by affluence. So, example is we have we eat organs. We consume organs because historically, organ like it, we eat everything. Yeah, Hong Kong, we eat everything yeah. because. Food is hard to come by historically, it's or yummy. Well, it is good. Well, but that's the thing is we've refined, we've made it good. Yeah, right. And actually, historically, uh, I believe the most nutrient dense meats are actually the organs, as opposed to like the muscle muscle meat. Yeah, I mean you have so rich iron content. Uh, and yeah, and absolutely, that, right? absolutely. Yeah. I th I think even like in the wild, I think um, so like example, if a pack of wolves like take down a deer, mm. they would actually cut open and go for the organs first. Someone, you, you guys can check that and double check if I'm right. But that, but, but, but that's the whole thing. How do we get onto this tangent? Uh, oh yeah, I was just saying, so <laughs> I was saying affluence. So, so yeah. usually countries that haven't had war, like dealt with war so much, they don't know what that's like yeah. in terms of or, like yeah. in terms of uh, consuming meat and whatnot. But, but sorry, one last thing, just yeah. Yeah, like food, like culture for sure. Like yeah. we're used to, Hong Kong is historically a fishing like as we're a port yeah. and fishing culture has been a large part of, of our culture. Uh, so we don't necessarily farm cattle per se, yeah. but we fish a lot, right? <laughs> David said, all this culture identity talk is making me hungry. Damn straight. Well, food is, is actually usually the great uniter um, yeah. and, and alcohol in terms of culture. Um, but we were talking about, uh, but we're talking about identity and, yeah. and we're talking about, you know, this this topic, which it's no, it's interesting for me, um, and and even like I'm not saying Hong Kong people are anything better at this, by the way, because even though we're well traveled, a lot of friends of mine they go to another country and they just can't stand the food. They just think they they're tasteless or they're too dry or, or anything like that. But it's you know again you know um, going to like going back to your original question, which is like. How do you acquire that critical thinking? I think it needs, it definitely needs some sort of, if not training, a conversation. Um, exposure. Yeah. It's basically exposure. Yeah, like have you ever even talked about this? Right. Because I don't know, how, like, I don't know if there's a many people that would talk about that kind of thing. Well, maybe this is something I need to do is find people that perhaps are not particularly culturally adventurous if i can use that as a phrase and just talk about what does culture mean to them and what is identity and stuff like yeah, that but, mm. 
And yeah. honestly, I, I don't know. I, I probably I would have to think think it through a bit more. But I, that may be interesting because I feel like I'm part of what I end up doing is I talk to people that have interesting cultural backgrounds, and so there's a lot of stuff to talk about. But it may be interesting for me to talk to someone that doesn't, and yeah. see and see what that's like, and maybe even in the assumption that there isn't much, there's actually a lot there, if we think about it. Mm. But anyway, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. The the other reason why I brought up thinking critically is just because so i'll just share a little story so a few a few years ago my mother and i were were having a discussion about culture and mm. identity mm-hmm. and so she's hong kong born and raised but she's chinese right so ethnically like chinese right that's just that's what's up and so you know we talked about the idea of you know how uh you know how important is culture Mm. Like, you know, and, and how important is identifying as being from a particular culture. And I use the I use the example of um, of feet binding as a cultural pra- practice back in the day. This is obviously hasn't happened. But yeah. a few gener- But, you know, I said to her, I said, you know, a few generations back. Mm. Like, so as it was a few generations back, um, you know, it was common practice for women to have their feet bound. Yeah. Right. Um, and so I said, so I would say, to, so I said to her, I said, if, if, if we were to subject you to that as a child, would you feel that, would you, st- would you just say simply that, yep, that's okay. Or, you know, no problem at all. It's part of my culture and accept that. Or do you feel like, no, actually that is something that we should perhaps question about our own culture or even the fact that education Right. So example is an education is typically the men, the male son would be able to first, especially the first male son would go and get more education, get more. Mm. And this and perhaps the younger siblings or the women especially wouldn't. So I would then say, well, culturally, is that how do we feel about that now from our from where we stand in history? But also as someone that likes to be honest and critical of what is how do we digest that and how do we square that particular circle mm-hmm. so it's just an interesting conversation to have with her but that's kind of mm-hmm. the stuff that i mean in terms of like looking at, at actual aspects of our culture and deciding well you know maybe that that's perhaps not that great and it's okay to say that's not so great but maybe let's look at changing it or let's look at something else uh, or, or dropping that particular practice i mean with culture right there's always going to do there's always going to be like there's the good bits of certain part of the culture and the not so great bits of the certain part of the culture and all cultures have that that's that's yeah. inevitable uh, but even even to to observe um the so-called the better ones and the not so great ones are um due to time um which means if you were to be back in those days Food binding, let's foot feet binding, feet binding, foot feet, feet you, you, yeah. Yeah, you, yeah, feet binding, feet binding. Uh, would be something that people don't challenge it because it's something that everyone does, and and and, and so um, it's only over time and maybe the certain culture is being exposed with another culture, then they have the opportunity to review this and say, hey, is this something that is still a thing, you know? And there's also this. There's always going to be evolution of, you know, culture. Well, I mean, with with the caveat that, of course, as we as time passes, we should learn more 
as yes. individuals and as collectives. Like with that, with that in mind, um, is there a particular metric or is there a particular mind frame that we can apply to how we look at culture that would perhaps in a somewhat uniform way um and i and i kind of don't like this idea but i kind of feel like there also needs to be some sort of this where we look where we can say you know what overall these this parts of of culture is our culture is something that does bring value or is meaningful or is interesting and or or is harmless and that's fine okay. but there are parts of culture where you know actually if we're going to try to be objective and i guess and i don't know so then we have to decide are we looking at human rights are we looking at um Whoa. civil rights oh no no <laughs> yeah. i know i know and yeah, i don't mean and it goes too it goes again, way broad this is a rabbit hole yeah. and i and i want to bring a cultural professor in to talk about this but you see what i'm saying here that is there a particular what metric are we deciding so it's not so subjective we decide this is not good so so I, I, I love taking the example of looking at Hong Kong. Well, I wouldn't say Hong Kong, but Hong Kong. No, Hong Kong's a better idea. Looking at my home that I live here right now and Japan. And I, like, when, I talk about, when we talk about culture or identities and, and, and how it has changed over time, um, Hong Kong is a place that culture is not valued as high as in Japan. In Japan, they make tons of effort with the government with the people local community and all that they really try to preserve um, things that probably has not much commercial value um, but they see something more important than the commercial value and they say that's something that needs to be kept or remembered or at least to be documented you know, we might not practice this because it's kind of old fashioned, but there's definitely a need to keep it so that people can remember this is something that we used to do. Right. Well, I and I think that like and, so, so sort of like yeah. um, laying down, sorry to interrupt, but like the yeah. idea of like preserving fact, preserving facts and pre preserving, you're talking about sort of cultural heritage. Yeah. And the uh, understanding and acknowledgement of uh, of customs and cultural practices. Because right? this part yeah. of what you're because this right? has a lot to do with, and I guess this goes to the reason why you're doing this podcast, which is identity. Like, if you don't have that culture, or if you don't remember what your upbringing or these values that you you used to have or your parents have, then then your identity becomes even more blurred. Well, but see, everyone's identity, like that's just luck of the draw, though. Like, if you were born in Afghanistan as a girl in like 1994. You would be we we wouldn't be having this conversation. It'd be a very different conversation. So that that's very luck of the draw, though. No, you know what I mean. Yes, but that's even beyond how I can like, you know, imagine life would be, or we, you know, when we talk about culture and all that. But you know, just to bring it closer to something that's more, you know, I can I can at least feel okay. sure, about. Sure. I think uh, in Hong Kong, um, the culture now, and this is a culture as well. You know, is is that we don't value old stuff. We don't value stuff that happened before. So whatever culture that we have right now, uh, is 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 Hong Kong, and and when you fast forward like fifty years, a hundred years from now, we're gonna look back and saying during the two thousand ten era, or two thousand like you know two thousand like what what decade is this or two thousand like nineties? What's what's a decade mm -hmm. after nineties? 
the nineties, the zeros, the two thousands, the two thousands. Yeah, it's, it's the it's yeah. the two thousands, yeah. and then so, I think now yeah. we're the what the teens. Yeah, I, I don't know what to call it. Yeah, the, the, this this decade that we're living in right yeah. now. This is going to be that culture. Well, the the thing that we've been doing. So this becomes historical. In the future, right? Right. Is there going to be um, a purpose to keep that sort of value that we have right now? I don't know, because uh, we don't do much these days apart from working and enjoying life as in going to movies and all that which which really has no like it's not from china it's not chinese the things that we're doing on a daily basis is not very chinese apart from the food we eat but even the food we eat are not that chinese right a lot of people are just eating like whatever fast food that comes you know in front of us so um and, and 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 I don't like that. I want the culture stuff. I want chicken feet. I want pig's brain. Sure. Uh, because yeah. it remind it, it reminds me that I'm a Chinese because Chinese people eat those things, and I think those are valuable for me. Because if I were to be eating McDonald's or whatever Western food food, then then who am I? Do you really feel that the food you eat determines who you are? It's part of me. Sure, sure, it's part sure. Of me. You know, like if like food culture is a big part, and 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 people don't value. And even you know, there's a, there's actually a statistics. Um, um, they're timing people's meal time right nowadays than back fifty years ago. And now we spend maybe one half or one third of the time that we used to have dinner. And, and back in the old days, having a meal with the family is something super important because that's when the time that the, fatter, the, the family can come together. You know, like the parents can talk to their kids. The kids can like, you know, mess around. And then the mom cooks a good meal and all the food is, you know, from the farm and, and, and all those kind of stuff. You know, it's, it's good stuff. We don't we don't have that anymore. Well, I agree. Well, culture has there's always going to be there's, there's going to be a spectrum of what is what is powerful and positive and what is perhaps disempowering and just not good <laughs> bringing like but I, I think as individuals though like becoming who you are now as a married individual uh, and having such cultural like wide cultural experiences and having traveled you can choose pick and choose what kind of values and what aspects of what cultures you want to incorporate and i don't think that sitting down with a family meal is exclusively chinese but for sure i understand that that is the entry point like and this is i understand like i there there's a nostalgic element for me as well like as soon as like mom says dinner's ready like i have an image of what my in my head what that's like the bringing the chopsticks out helping us at the table wiping the tape like there's all that stuff that that comes up as well. Sorry, I went on a bit of a no, no. tangent there. Um, um, what was I going to say? Um, I think, the, like, what we're doing now... I think Elizabeth said it right. Yes, the world needs to slow down and enjoy the moment. Yeah. That's that's big yeah. part of what this uh, is in I, general, I th I, too. I think, I think right now it's, like, at least you can define what a meal is like back in the old days. And you can visualize it. Now, you can't even remember what your meal tasted like. Well, because like, we're busy on our phones no, and I can't, whatnot. I can't remember the meal that I had. Like, well, not today because today was a celebration. But normally, I just 
throw food in my mouth and I'll be full. That's it. And, and if you talk about the value of it, there's so much less than, I mean, experience-wise, you know, the experience of having a meal is, is so much more um, enriching back in the old days than now. And I, I feel like, you know, the, 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 the less we have of this kind of stuff, the less of an identity that we can form um, as a person. And that's something that is not, not necessarily great, you know, because who, like, when you don't have an identity, then who are you, right? And, and, and these are the little tiny pieces. And it all adds up. It all adds up. I'm not just talking about food, for instance. Family relationships, family values, marriage values, religious values, and all these kind of things. It all adds up to be one individual person, right? And, and, and everything is kind of just very, very mashed and, and, and very diluted. And I don't know, like, it's just very, you know. Yeah. Culture is... Anyway. Mm. I need a beer. <laughs> Do you have any? No. We should have. We should have gotten some Shit. beers. I, I know. I have I didn't mean. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean this. No. no it's. It's. I'll just. Uh, let, let's try and wrap this portion up, and then we'll talk about the periscoping stuff because I do want to get into that. Oh, okay. Oh, well, that's like an oh, yeah, for sure, yeah, for sure, yeah. like definitely. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I guess I, part of what I wanted to consider was just the idea of is there a way to unplug a unplug a label, like remove labels from identities and simply replace them perhaps or put them on a, a, a spectrum or within the gamut of uh, activities and outcomes that we value as people. So so, so the example that we had there was just the idea of um, in his, like Chinese culture, the family meal is really, really important. Dinner is really, really important um, as it is in many, many other cultures. And we know it from personal experience, but also from perhaps research and whatnot, just the value of having that meal with your family, how much that adds to your life as an individual and to your communities and families. I, I, I'm just really curious about the idea of removing the idea of the label of needing it to be attached to a specific ethnic, ethnic culture or nationalistic culture. And I said, you know what? As people, that's a great thing. Can we apply that? That that was all. That was just sort of mm. uh, part of what I'm I'm trying to do and explore here. That's all. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Talk. Anything yeah, I, you want to share? Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I don't think go. I have more to add on this. I th I think we've talked yeah. that one to death. Yeah. Oh, we haven't <laughs> killed people with that one. Okay. Cool. I want to get into the periscoping stuff. So yeah. uh, break it down for us. Your your when when did when did when did John, you know, take his size? What size shoes do you wear? Nine. Size nine US has kicked down the door of uh, Periscope in uh, in Hong Kong and uh, bust onto the scene. What was that like? It was weird. Like, uh, I was never a big fan of using, like, exposing my entire life to the, the internet world. I mean, I have a Facebook account like everyone does, but it's usually just kept you know like among like the communication system would be among my friends and all that so i was never a public figure i guess um so it was by chance um someone told me about the app and i thought okay let's give it a try see what this is i turn on you know i downloaded the app like tapped on the red button and then things starts you know like 
what I, whatever I'm seeing is in front of the screen right now. But what's interesting with Periscope is I am streaming this with people watching the same thing that I'm watching in the screen. And when you have people asking me questions about what is this place or are those double-decker buses or wow this place is so crowded you know and it, it it's just the conversation started the conversation started between a person in hong kong that's living you know his daily life and that channel that's pushed out to the world, whoever has that app and is turning on at that moment can potentially talk with me about what I'm streaming. And I find that super duper uh, exciting, you know? Um, yeah, so um, I guess I kind of got hooked to it because Personality wise, I'm also a very like, I, I guess my, you know, everyone would say I'm an, I'm an extrovert. So I love hanging out with people. I love socializing. And, and this is something that is another level of interaction um, than what I would do on a normal daily basis. So people from the States, from UK, from Turkey, you know, languages that I don't understand would type and say whatever and I would have to interact with them. So it's like, awesome. You know, like, I'm, 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 I'm connecting. How many periscopers are there that are quite, <clears throat> excuse me, how many periscopers are in Hong Kong, you think? Active ones? Active ones. Not, not no just, more not than just, 10. No more than 10. No more than 10. And how are you defining active? Uh, you would stream, you would broadcast almost on a daily basis, if not at least a couple times a week. Okay. Yeah. So really just about 10 that are just yeah. doing stuff. <laughs> just 10. And I check and I check on the map pretty much like every other day just to make sure that if there's anyone that would, you know, jump in. But no. Not that many. How many local Hong Kong people like check into your channel? <laughs> Maybe a couple. So each scope, right? I mean, each broadcast. I guess so. Yeah, yeah. no more than a handful. I would say because, you know, there's always this number that they tell you, oh, how many people are watching? But I don't necessarily know where everyone is from unless I do a shout out. Uh, and there's only very rare occasions that they would say, oh, you know, I'm in Simsasha or you're in Tim. Yeah, like very rare occasions. And can we do a, a quick little shout out now? Quick roll call. Who do we have here on, on uh, Periscope? Which countries do we have? Well, I know all of them. Okay, well, okay. So what do we have here? We got... So we have JL from Switzerland. Switzerland! We have Kelvin from New Zealand. New Zealand. And, and Elizabeth is in, from the States. Earth. Earth. I like that. Earthling. Earthlings. Come in peace. Awesome. And here we are. Yes. So, so this conversation, apart from me and you, includes three individuals from three different countries. Do we have every continent? Except for the U.S. No. No. But that's, I mean... But that's pretty cool no that's super cool super yeah. cool and 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 we're also doing this for multiple uh, platforms like i'll be this will be up on a podcast yes right and this is live now like yeah. this is happening so and i look so much cooler with the mic what up, right. what up? <laughs> thanks for the thumbs yeah. up Liz. yeah um what's been challenging about being a periscoper 
not periscoping. <laughs> I'm sure your wife is all like, oh my God. I, I'm going to stick around until she gets back home. I'm going to get, she's my next. Oops. <laughs> Crap. <laughs> Sorry, guys. You guys are... You right? All right. Was mm. There we go. <laughs> it's a hard not to scope. We laughed so hard we knocked the damn thing over. Um, yeah. No, I mean, I take it really seriously. I, I guess I'm one of those, like, crazy people that not... I, I mean, okay, so 99% of the content that you watch from Periscope is, in fact, quite boring. Like, usually people with no intention would just fire up the app and push out a broadcast and have titles like, I'm bored, talk with me. Or check out my face because I'm pretty. You know, they won't type it in a title, but they would not have a title. So a lot of people will do not have a well-defined intention to use the app. Uh, and most of the time, they just want to talk to people, which is fine. No judgment. But I don't watch those scopes. And I'm not doing that because I know why I'm doing it. And that's why having that intention keeps me doing it on a daily basis for the past year and a half. Um, so how would you define your um, engagement with the app? And, and do, like what I guess your mission statement or why you're doing this, is it to connect, to share, to be the window to Hong Kong? I want to connect know? with as many people as I can. As simple as that. I mean, yes, most of the content is about Hong Kong because I live here, but that's, that used to be my purpose, but not so much anymore, uh, because I don't think I'm the, you know, the main person here. I'm just a guy who's holding the camera, um, and, and so I, I I have no intention to have myself to become like famous or anything. I don't I don't I don't look for fame in this. I want to do this because uh, I want to connect with people, and I'm going to try my best to show whatever I'm experiencing life for people to see. And if they want to reach out and say, hey, I want to be friends with you, or hey, I want to ask you something because I need help, or hey, I really like the business that you're doing, can I be part of it? Then that's great. Uh, and that's basically what I have been doing. And it's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Um, you mentioned that kind of stuff. So I know you recently got to go travel somewhere sort of as a sculptor, right? Yes. And you got, you got sort of got sponsorship right there. I, yeah. I think, I think you're, um, there's urban adventures. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, a I good way to describe it. Yeah. So your urban adventures, your travels, um, I think as Elizabeth mentioned earlier and you, you just like to travel. You're a bit of a jet setter anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, can we talk about that specific experience? You got to go somewhere and you got partial or full sponsorship to go as a scoper. Yeah. So the way how I see this is I'm I'm operating the platform or I'm operating the channel as how I would like to see it as a business, right? I want to create this and I want the balance sheets to be healthy. In a sense, if I'm spending so much effort in doing something, I want a return back that that can justify my efforts, right? Well, is it isn't a part of it like um <clears throat> the interactions and people like how are you defining the the benefit then uh there's different levels of it the, the most superficial level is obviously money 
which yes, I, I, I am looking for it and I'm very open about this. This is a business. So if I'm spending X amount of hours using this, then I would like to expect I get, I get um, you know, income to compensate the effort. Um, but more importantly, uh, the people that I'm also connecting with right now enriches my life in terms of understanding um, the different people that I could not and would not be connected with. So let's just say, for example, here again. Uh, so JL um, from Switzerland, I've never met him in real life before. Uh, and he's a scoper. He scopes in Switzerland with his drone most of the time or when he's on the road. So uh, first of all, I get to see his part of daily life, which could be sometimes boring because it's just like one road for like four hours of driving. But for me, it's interesting because I'm not just looking at Switzerland. I'm talking with this guy about Switzerland or about his life or anything. Right. And then he tells me that he speaks fluent Thai. And I'm like, wait, why? How? You know, and he tells me, oh, he used to be he used to work in, in, in he, he used to work in Thailand. And so and he starts speaking Thai. And then my wife was there and they were like, holy cow, you know, this is pretty crazy. And so he's coming to Asia, in fact, late, later this year. So we're going to meet up in Chiang Mai, you know, and he's going to come to Hong Kong as well. And we're going to meet up in Hong Kong. So. Yeah, awesome. It's, you know, it's cooler than Tinder, man. <laughs> <laughs> Says the married man. <laughs> you know, people say Tinder is amazing. I'm like, no, no, no. Periscope is better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I got you. I got you. Yeah. And, 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 and uh, I also want to talk about this and how I see this as a business because, um, with the sponsorship that you mentioned, I want to demo and, and this is a very practical thing that I need to do as I scope on a daily basis. There needs to be new content, different content, something that people will want to come back over and over again to watch. So I can't possibly just scope the streets of Hong Kong every single day. It gets boring, right? So when it comes to like finding new content, naturally that I need resources, I need resources to like, I need to know different people or I need to be at different places. Right? So, uh, what I need to do is, I need to spend the time and money to do it. And, and the practical reason comes when if I can get f funded, uh, that means I can do more stuff. So it's, it's very natural for me to say, hey, I'm doing this. I need sponsors because if I don't have the sponsor, I won't be able to do it. Right. And I totally get it. Yeah. Because as a podcaster myself, like relatively new to the game, but definitely you're going to say, you know what, at some point, I will need to find ways to get sponsorship, mm. right? And but but I but what I do love though is the there's a bit of a power shift because even without sponsorship, we can still do all kinds of amazing stuff, right? Because do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like so, we get to choose how and with whom we get our sponsorship, which I, is great. I have my own TV channel here. Yeah, it's basically a TV channel. And back in the old days, this would never be possible without internet, without the app without like devices that would be affordable for the consumer, like the normal consumers, get your hands you know? So, so this, this is something that only could be possible like in this particular time. Right. Completely foreign country. So cool. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, so, um, it's, 
It's empowering. It's empowering. But 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 the specific sponsorship. Can I ask you to just sort of talk about what you got to do? Okay, so um, it was a long process, but um, Cafe Pacific, an airline in Hong Kong, uh, was basically the first sponsor that um, got me the ticket to fly to Taiwan with my other Periscope buddy. Um, so once we've established the tickets. Uh, and then I reached out to hotel groups in Taiwan. Of course, um, you know, not everyone said yes, but fortunately there's this, in the, uh, there's this boutique uh, hotel group. It's called AMBA, A-M-B-A. Great hotel, by the way. Um, shout out AMBA. Shout out on AMBA. Uh, and, and so I, I sent an email to them saying, this is one thing, this is the thing that I'm doing. And just so happened the person understood what I was saying because not, not a lot of people understand live streaming and social media. And she says, yeah, come, uh, you know, tell me how long you want to stay. Uh, accommodation is in the house. Uh, so I got the tickets covered. I got the accommodation covered. And so the rest of the money is basically transportation and, and, and meals. That's affordable. So I, you know, I took money from my own pocket to do it. But in return, what the viewers could, could see through the platform is me in a different place, um, speaking with different people and showing them a whole new dynamic, right? And this wouldn't be possible without, I mean, it would be possible with, without the sponsors, but I would just have to take out money from my own account, which I don't think I would do that in the first place. Well, right? what's, what is great is just that how, how content creators like us are just able to find ways or help set terms on how we get sponsored. Like, do, do you know what I mean? Like that, which I think is, which is so different from how it used to be. It used to be you, the entire operation required ad revenue. Yeah. Whereas now it's just not necessarily the case. And yeah. eventually we can get big enough, perhaps to a point where it's self-sustaining. Yes. Right, which would be awesome. Yes. Um, people think, um it's hard or well there's two levels of it first of all people think internet is free it's not free right a lot of people are working getting paid or they are paying for stuff that you're seeing or hearing or reading right um so someone has to pay for this and there's an there's a whole economy behind this but this whole economy is not like the traditional business models anymore. Uh, it's, it's more fragmented, it's more diverse. It's also capable of not only big corporations, but individual entities like me and you can also, you know, um, pursue this entrepreneurship that nobody has tried before, or some people have, but I just don't happen to know them. But for me, this is a brand new experience, being able to generate income that I've never imagined before or having resources that I could never. So like, okay, when I was with a job, you know, and I, I, I need to always associate myself with the company in order to gain resources to do stuff. Let's just say if I need a ride, um, the company would pay for it, but I'm working for myself right now. And if I want to get a ride, it would be money from my own pocket, right? But it's not necessarily the case anymore because if I can get sponsorship on my own name, then that's great because I'm generating value for myself, not for from the company. Well, the branding is very different. Your positioning is extremely different. The model is totally different. Like it's you, yeah. you are beholden to yourself. Yeah. And so you get to set the terms. Yeah. And which is, which is, it's the, 
it's the dream of being your own boss, frankly. Like this is the this is one of the most touted aspects of being your own boss is you can set your own terms most of the time. Yes, but and it's but it's possible. Right, absolutely. Because a lot of people think that wouldn't be possible or they never they, they never even thought of you know, like, you know, trying this thing. Well, it's about how much do you feel um, that it's just about putting in the work and time or do you really need a great idea to start out? It's about putting the... Uh, well, you need the... Okay, it's opportunity that you need to really, like, grab on. Like, if I were to dismiss the app because I would think this is something that's silly, then I would never have... You know, we would never be sitting here doing this conversation. So there's that opportunity that kind of passes by that you kind of have to grab hold of. You know, it's like the cliche thing. But then there's still the time and the effort that you have to put on um, day in and day out, uh, making sure you're not quitting until something happens. And I I think that's a a philosophy that I've learned um, because of my anti-aging business. Uh, and, And because I have that mindset, this becomes more clear for me in terms of knowing what should I do next and and how do I, you know, self-sustain this whole business model. I mean, it's a cliche, right? That you just got to put your hours in. And then, of course, Malcolm Gladwell talked about the 10,000 hour thing, right? Yeah. Of course, that's not, I mean, but, and it's becoming sort of a cliche at this point, but it's just one of those cliches that's, is so true. Yeah. There's no, like, you can't get around putting in work and time to get good at something there's period yeah. even yeah. with talent like if you don't apply you're not gonna achieve yeah you, or consistently achieve yeah you can be really really smart and say something that would get you like notice but i mean there's so many talent out there yeah right yeah but yeah. I, there is talent but i've also just the older i get the more i feel like there is talent out there but those that really do good work may not have necessarily had the most raw talent yeah they just kept on doing it for sure like, and that's just and yeah it's just one for of those sure. things where it's like yeah for sure i tell you but yeah. it's like yeah that has to be said i always feel like i forget that so if you and i say that just because people sometimes feel like um they feel like i can't do it i'm no good at it or whatever it's actually do it get a taste for it if you like it keep going at it try it yeah I totally get you. Uh, so, sorry, we just got to pretend. Yep. So, uh, JL said, um, when yeah. he has to do historical scopes, he needs to prepare. He needs to know his facts, and he needs to do it. There's a lot of effort, and and people don't necessarily know this. Whatever that is presented to you, defined as quote unquote success, is that moment that you have made it. But the hours of sweat and tears and hard work and preparation behind it is never shown to people because they just don't see it. There's no time to understand it, right? So that's always going to be kind of like shadowed and and, 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 and you only know it because you've tried it, you know? So people who don't even want to try it will never be at that point. And, and I mean, I've scoped more than a thousand times at least, okay? That means... That's well, actually, actually more than a thousand times at least. So it's thirty minutes each time minimum, so that's what five hundred hours, just in, like live. But the the work, the, the 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 preparation that I have to do for each scope, or the um, or the money that I have to spend, or the money that I'm not, the the time that I'm not spending to make money in my business, right? It adds up, uh, and it's a lot of effort. 
It's a lot of effort. But what keeps you going back to it? Because I know why I'm doing it. I know exactly why I'm doing this. So, yeah. The amount of preparation. So, in my case, it's setting up the interview, bringing the gear, coming over, making sure everything's okay, going back, working with, on engineering it, editing it. People only see the episode goes out. Yeah. But there's so much that has to go on. It's an addiction. Before. It is kind of addictive, Elizabeth. It is kind of, for I guess, for the content creator and for those that are consuming the content. Like it becomes, you know, you build a rapport, yeah. you build a relationship with what you're doing and what you're yeah. watching and the people. It's And the work itself becomes addictive. Like I, I've started to get really into editing. It's an, it's an addiction because uh, you enjoy doing it. You know, if I don't like this, then I'm not doing it, right? It's, uh, it's, it's, I'm not, I'm not, especially when you got stuff. Yeah, uh, I mean, but, but for me, it's, it's more like I, um, there's this constant need of being better, you know, and because of that, I need to do this. And, and so let's just say uh, the next trip that I'm going to is Myanmar, uh, and this is going to be in December. I know nothing about the country. I'm going to spend six days there, uh, and I want to do scopes. Uh, so what was going to happen or what the viewers will only see is the number of scopes that I will be doing while I am in Myanmar. But little do they know that, first of all, I need to study up on it. I need to make sure like Internet connectivity as well. I need to talk to this company, which is a startup that has connection to Myanmar. And we're like shooting emails back and forth just to know the right person so that I can set up these interviews, go to these places. And, 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 and there's also, you know, this drone that I've, you know, been very blessed to raise money to, to also acquire it and to fly the drone. And, and so like, there's so much shit happening behind the scene. There's so much shit, right? And it's a lot of work. But we know why we're doing it, so we keep doing it. Yes. I mean that that's that's what this is about. Yeah. And and here's the thing, like it's just because we're an individual, like when you work in large in a large media company, right? And you and you create content that way, you just have you perhaps have more resources to do it, mm. right? So like you have people that do research, but it's like imagine all that research that goes into doing one particular piece. Right. And let's say it's just a news segment. Let's say it's a news segment on like, you know, um, the wet market culture in Hong Kong and, and how that's looking like. Right. Mm -hmm. The amount of research that has to go into that is a lot. But imagine if it's just you and you want to cover that. But that's how, how it's like so often. Yeah. And you're organizing. You're making the phone calls. Yeah. You're trying to find the people. You're doing the interview. You're setting up the gear. You're going back with all this stuff. you got to review the information. Was it good that I have enough battery? Ba, 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 ba. Was the sound quality okay? All these things. It's all on you. But we, we can't stop doing it. <laughs> I'll stop if I'm dying. <laughs> you say that now. You'll be, sco you'll be scoping it. Oh, oh, look at me. Oh. The nurse, the nurse, this is my nurse. She's very nice. Chai, 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 you'll be fine. Yeah. You'll be uh, <laughs> that was a bit dark. No, I mean, it's, I don't know. I don't know when I'm going to stop. There's, there, there's going to be an end to this. It's, it's not going to be something that is, of, nothing is for eternity, right? In the meantime, I'm just enjoying it. I'm giving it a few years at least to do it. And I don't know where it's going to take me, but in the meantime, I'm enjoying it and, just keep doing it, right? 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 Yeah. 
bring just to sort of kind of wrap this up a little bit. Yeah. Um, where do you see ninety-year-old, <laughs> ninety-year-old hoe in his wheelchair scoping? You know that's going to be happening. It's, I think it'll be a VR. No, like it'll be Maybe. a. That'd be cool, right? Everyone could put on VR, put on a VR headset, and they could watch life through I, you. I or can't whatever. imagine how fast technology is going to advance. Like it's going to be not crazy. Be holding up a phone for sure. It'll be crazy. Yeah. Um. Kind of just to tie everything together in terms of culture, uh, excuse me, culture, identity, who you are, what you do, scoping. Where do you see Hong Kong in the next few years? Few years. Uh, in a few years, Hong Kong, right? So, okay. Um, let's just say five. Okay, let's say five. That's 2021. Yeah. Um, more Chinese, more mainland Chinese people, more uh, more Chinese companies. Um, uh, so they have more influence over politics, uh, media, um, uh, um, daily life, everything. Right. Um, it's it's more and more apparent, you know since umbrella revolution i don't talk too much about politics but it's obvious that it's a very very um hot topic to discuss and you see a lot of people uh, having their voice um but at the same time i think china i mean you know our mainland ma china mainland china right. uh is also going to open up um, they're also going to be more tolerant. I, I'm I'm optimistic about things at least. And so this this whole idea of oh my god, Hong Kong is going to collapse. We're not going to be you know like you know like you know we're not we're not going to have freedom of speech or you know uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Mm. I think we're going to be pretty okay because y you have to understand like people like things evolve. You know, um, twenty years ago China was not opened up at all now you have so much things um the winter olympics or is it um yeah i think it's the winter olympics that's happening in a couple of years the chinese government actually told um the officials that the internet is going to be opened up for all the athletes and they can use facebook whatever youtube google and all these sort of platforms only limited to the athletes but still this is nothing that they have done before, right? right? So it's not that they they are not changing and not like opening up or anything. The pace of it is something that we just need to kind of wait and see and, you know, be passive about it because we don't have control. Uh, yeah, and then there's a free trade zone and all of that. So you know for a fact that China is going to be opening up. You know, they're not going to be back re regressed. And so the fear of Hong Kong people is valid because there will be change. But that kind of change is going to be quite different from what they imagine it will be. Because they're always imagining the Red Army, um, you know, the Communist Party. You know, now everyone has to, like, salute or sing the national anthem in schools and all that. Eh, not necessarily true. I mean, there have been a few things, though, that were quite, I think, uh, what were perceived as disturbing or can be perceived as disturbing or 
even alarming like you have the people so example was you have the booksellers yeah we don't have to get into it too much but no, i'll no, just mention it's... the booksellers like that disappear actually but they disappeared they were in thailand weren't they yeah they were, they were extradited from thailand mis, mis disappeared in, from thailand then they appeared in china yeah i mean but, but okay this is this is the thing though you don't think the thing, John? this is the thing <laughs> you don't think these kind of kidnap government official secrecy doesn't happen in other countries no 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 but okay so right? okay so, all right so so but but simply saying that yeah. other countries do it too doesn't make it okay it doesn't make it okay right I'm so just, i'm just thinking it's not that pick up a deal <laughs> i know people are gonna bash me for saying this um you you're gonna get some hate mail I know. <laughs> get some hate mail I'm i not mean even it's not that big of a deal as in if you look into the whole nation evolving hmm. just having a couple people being arrested by the government official is 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 a tiny spectacle of what has happened throughout the whole Chinese history. You know, there's like cultural revolution. There's like the Nanjing massacre. There's the Tiananmen situation. Thousands and hundreds of thousands of people have died. And now you're like, and then we're we're so like tied up, tightening up about this like book keeper situation being abducted because that's like, I, I don't. Oh, okay, okay. So know? so I, I think I think you can say that if we look at the course of history, there has inevitably been progress. But I think the last uh, frontier, um, I wouldn't say last frontier, but one of the last frontiers is uh, information. And so part of the transfer of information involves speech. Yes. Part of it involves literature. And part of it involves the internet, right? So yeah. I, think, I think that that's just uh, a reality. So I think that that might be part of where these concerns come from. I know. And, 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 that, and that's... But there's, that's all I'm going to sort of point I, out. About I feel that. like I feel like it's always like the the media or or the situation is blown way out of proportion, of 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 how it could affect and you know like the future of Hong Kong right. or something like that. You know, uh, and and for me at least on a personal level, um, and I'm, I'm I'm I might sound very selfish say saying this, but because it doesn't really. In, like it doesn't affect me immediately or it's nothing that I can change. I have no control over these kind of things, right? So my worrying doesn't do much to solve the, the, the issue or the situation, right? So if I have to think about this day and night, I mean, if I were to be a journalist or if I were to be a similar book owner selling the same kind of books, I, I will freak out. And I will be really, really nervous and I will do all sorts of things to, you know, like to, to not be kidnapped. But for me, because I am part of Hong Kong and I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic. And so for me, it's like, ah, shit, this happened. But okay, life goes on. Got to work. Got to do stuff. Um, sucks to be a bookseller selling like sensitive, sensitive books. Um, I'm one person. I'm not going to start a revolution to fight against the Chinese government to talk about this free speech thing because there's no point. There's no point for me. That's that's how I that's how I see it. <laughs> I I just find that position really interesting for someone that creates content and shares information, and I guess it's because the nature of the information isn't particularly sensitive, but it's. <clears throat> 
but at least find it an interesting position. What's going on? Info travels too, too fast, fast now. Fire is given to small and he's given to blow in. Never forget I never get the lone man standing. standing. Oh, we're th I think they were talking about Tiananmen Square. Tiananmen Square, yeah. Yeah. Like, that was an epic situation where, like, everyone needed to be thinking and talking about it. But again, it was it, a big part of it was free speech. Like, a big part of the protest was free speech, uh, disenfranchisement that those were the sentiments and you know we don't talk it can't be talked about right i don't know enough to discuss the situation neither do i because, so we don't have to yeah, get into because, it because it's like whatever the media is feeding us with the story you know there's no way to verify it you don't know like i don't know what exactly happened on that night i was a kid and something horrified happened in front of the tv screen and people died the government was blamed and now they want to cover it up and not talk about it forever same with the bookstore incident here right it on the service it could easily be like understood as these people were uh, selling books that are sensitive uh, because it it, it, it kind of like digs out these scandals of these chinese um, officials Right. And so, you know, maybe someone doesn't like them and they want to. But but is this really the truth? Is there something more into it that got them to be abducted? Is there like a profit thing here that maybe they. OK, OK. You know so, what I'm saying? Well, right? OK, so. So yeah. but then but then what is the line for it being OK for someone to be abducted from a country that isn't either their own country of origin or from the country that's abducted them? I don't know. I don't know. And so I, I still have faith in the legal system in Hong Kong. And so this incident means the legal system in Hong Kong is not enforced. So that's why people are pissed, you know, because there's a lot of like, you know, like abduction. And, and, and well, this, well, it, it didn't yeah. happen here. Yeah. Yeah. But, so, but it involves a citizen of a, yeah, a, a, a involves, resident yeah, of here. Yeah. So, it, so it's, it's tricky. Right? So, so the, the, the legal system is still kind of enforced, but because they were tricky about it, they kind of abducted it. And, and so... Um, if I'm, if I have to be concerned of that, um, I guess my way of dealing it is to not be involved with it. Uh, people might say, oh, you're a coward or whatever. Right. But it's just, it's, yeah, like politics is something that I always avoid for the reason of, because I feel like I can spend so much more time and effort doing something that can be more constructive to the society to humankind to myself that's that's it that's it it's not because i'm i'm afraid of politics but because i know i my ability and my my skill sets are not made for dealing with political issues my 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 upbringing my education my skill sets are for being in maybe like social media or or doing my business and i can create positive influence through those places as simple as that you know perfect yeah and, and i think that's a very self-aware uh position to take on that yeah um fair enough yeah yeah i didn't mean for it to get so intense and so and so serious and and and, and no political. but it's good but, but it's it good. is what it was part of yeah i mean uh, because it is still our reality, right? We do still live here. Yes, yes. And so it's it's part of what we have to yeah. have to deal with. Okay, so Elizabeth thanks, Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Okay, so guys, since since we're on um, 
By the way, I, how I think long have we been talking about. Uh, how long have you been talking? Let me just check. It's about an hour and a half. Oh, okay, talk about what? Okay, so before we, uh, we'll do something new for the, for this show. I'd like to ask you guys. Last Shang Dynasty. All right, Scopers. Do you guys have any questions for us? Anything you want to know about me, or you want to ask John as to what we've sort of talked about? It's I'm so used to just saying things out of my brain or up from my ass, wow. and and I don't want, like I don't realize that this will be something public that's going to be in the <laughs> internet and people will hold me against every single word that I say. Thanks, Elizabeth. Thanks, um, Elizabeth. Uh, and so. Oh fuck it. <laughs> well, it, but it, you know well, what's great about this though is is it is, is it is it kind of um, it kind of forces us to you know evolve and think more, right? Because if we hear, wow, what did I say? How do I actually feel about that? And you can always revisit it and talk about it yeah. again, and it's okay to evolve. Let's put let's put it this way: I'm still comfortable talking about this at this time in Hong Kong. Say no more. I, I think that. Oh, hold on. Oh, thanks, Jail. Jail said it was it was a surprise to me. I was very happily surprised. Surprised thanks, by. Jail. I, I guess I guess you surprised by the type of conversation or the content or the uh, what we said. I'm guessing. No. Is that right, Jail? Jail is easily surprised. He's like, we all got deep. <laughs> we went deep. It's his fault. We went deep. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I just I, this is just the kind of stuff that I want to do. I just want to have these kinds of conversations. This is just what this is about. Yeah, a million brain cells just died. It's like psh, psh, psh. it's time for that beer. Then I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I need to talk to someone and be like, "Hey, I need to. I need a hug. You need to unpack. I need a beer." This Josh, dude, is like <laughs> drilling me. <laughs> Now I know how to approach. Oh, now I'm exposed oh. to JL. At least at night. <laughs> See, now I know how to approach approach John. John is he's going to break me. He's going to break me when he sees me. He's going to make you talk politics. <laughs> he's going to go put from, a mic on the hose. He's going to be great. He's going to go from Brexit <laughs> to bat. He's just going to go down everything, everything. Oh, no, Refugee no, no. crisis, Middle East, Hong Kong, China. I'll be like none of my fucking business. <laughs> Not going to talk about it. <laughs> Uh, I got you. Anyway, yeah. John, thank you very much. No, I appreciate you doing you. this. Yeah. Thank you, John. Um, audience, thank you. First time we had a live audience doing this podcast. And it is a live audience. It is. Yeah, it's a virtual live audience. Quite interesting, huh? Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. I can't believe you guys like sticked in the whole an hour and a half of this. Stuck around. Stuck thank around, you, guys. Yes. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. Okay. Take care. I don't need to scope out here, but I guess... I'll wrap this up. Yeah, yeah, you'll wrap this up. You have to sing a tune or something? No, not at all. I'll do all that in post-production. Oh.